thought today we'd play some word association. You guys know how that works? I say a word, you say another word, it's all be recorded, I'll analyze it, and I'll figure out what's wrong with you at some point during this week. All right, I say one word, someone shouts out a word, first word, one word response that comes to mind. Example would be hot. Blue. Yeah, why is red with blue? I don't know. Food. Gospel. You both say Jesus? Music. Let's pray a little bit more. <laughs> Gospel music. All right. If you guys remember, it was probably about a year ago that I passed out index cards at the end of one of the services, and I asked everybody to write down what the gospel was um, on an index card sounds easier uh, than it really is those have finally been graded I got them back from God and some of you are not I'm kidding it was an interesting thing there was there was a reason I did it um, there are many reasons I did it I was um, very much struck by the difficulty many people have in articulating what the gospel is we're called to give a reason for the, the hope that we have, but in order to give a reason for the hope that we have, we need to know the hope that we have. There are a lot of people out there who, who um, don't know what the gospel is in the first place, and even for those who do, it's often difficult to articulate it. Those cards were, were interesting. Um, most of them were very encouraging. Some of them, a, a very few of them, were a little concerning. Um, but I would bet if we, if we redid them now, they'd, they'd be a little different. What we're going to do today is we're going to look at that again. We're going to look at that question about, about what is the gospel as we take a look at Acts chapter 10, the last part of it. Remember last week, we looked at how God perfectly prepares the hearer, the teller, and the timing. We took a little glimpse at the human responsibility involved in that whole process. Today we're going to look at what happened when Peter showed up at Cornelius' house and all that happened there. And as we do, there, there are so many different ways we could unpack this text today, but for today, we're going to look at the message, the vessel, and the response. I'll explain what I mean, <clears throat> but let's, let's get into the first part of the text. So let's just take... Um, Take the first several verses, 34 to 38, as we look at the message. Acts chapter 10, verse 34, it says, So Peter opened his mouth and said, and I'll stop right there. You could parse down the Bible, couldn't you? Peter opened his mouth and said. Why does it say opened his mouth? Why not just Peter said? Do people often, mm -hmm. Peter was a ventriloquist. This is an important fact. Not many of you knew that. But Peter used to speak only through a smile. Hello and welcome to what it is. It's a colloquialism. It's a figure of speech that says Peter was about to say something incredibly important and he said, just in case you wondered why it says that. So what did he say? Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that as for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed. How God appointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, 
he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. See that little phrase there in 36? It says, Jesus Christ. You ever hear people talk about making Jesus Lord of their life? You want to know a little secret? Jesus is the Lord of your life. Jesus is Lord of everything. No one ever, ever says, Jesus, I would like to make because, see, that's just Jesus' default position. Whether or not you Lord of your life, you live in with God, which brings us to the first point. Music. Jesus. One word I didn't hear. Peace. The gospel, according to Peter, is a message of peace. Gospel is often thought of as a series of facts. A man named Jesus, who was fully God, born of a virgin, died on a cross, rose three days later, that's the gospel. No, that's, those are facts. And just because you agree with those facts doesn't mean you've accepted the gospel. A lot of people assent intellectually to those facts and as a result think that they're Christians and live in a right relationship with God and nothing could be further from the truth. James talks about that and he says even the demons would answer true to that. The gospel is not less than facts, those are important facts to affirm, but the gospel is more than just facts. The gospel is a message of peace. And I think sometimes we miss this and we lose focus on this, and it's so important we understand that. Peter comes in, he says to Cornelius, as for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching, good news of peace. What makes the gospel good news? a message of peace. It's a peace treaty that God made with his enemies. You remember way back when Jesus was born and the shepherds were sitting there, we're in Luke chapter 2, and the, a multitude of angels showed up and, ha, it excess. You know, they, that's how the music went. Do you remember what they said to the shepherds? Glory to God in the highest and peace on those with whom he is well pleased. Peace. Uh, Isaiah 52.7 and 57.19. Verses that talk 52.7 and 57.19, if you want to look them up. They're messages that speak of God's coming peace through the Messiah. Uh, John 14.27. Jesus talks about my peace I leave with you. The gospel is a message of peace. We were at enmity with God, is the word the Bible uses. And God made a peace treaty. Interesting fact, historically in, in human history, there have been many, many peace treaties made. How many have been kept? Take a guess. Renee's got it. There has never been a human peace treaty made that has ever been kept. Never. Yet, yet you watch politics and we're, we're looking for presidents or, or whatever who will bring peace to the Middle East. Guess what? Not going to happen. There's a, you know, there's a whole lot of stuff that goes on out there that if people would just have their eyes open to the truth, they go, wait a minute, this isn't going to happen. There's a thing called SETI, Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence. We spend billions of taxpayer dollars on that each year. You go find it! You know, life didn't start way out there. Peace in the Middle East, not going to happen. Well, it will actually, you do know it will happen at one point when some Prince of Peace comes back. But the gospel is a message of peace. Peace treaties, though. None, none has ever existed, but do you know how they're formed? 
you have two parties at least in conflict. And one offers terms of peace to the other, usually the more powerful one. Take, a, take one of the, the world wars, the Axis and the Allies, and you, you take the U.S. and Japan, let's say, and after Hiroshima and Nagasaki, the U.S. basically, look, we're going to bust you up really, really, really bad. But so we don't have to completely annihilate you. We'll offer terms of peace if you surrender on our conditions. You have a peace treaty. Victory in Japan Day is what it's called. You had the same thing with Victory in Europe Day. Throughout history, the powerful player can offer terms of peace to the less powerful player, or the less powerful player can offer terms of surrender if a terms of peace can be reached. This is how it works. So, God and humanity. Was there a battle being waged? Well, kind of. We were, we were enemies of God. It, see, if while we were enemies of God, we were reconciled to God by the grace of his Son, you ever, you ever hear that in the Bible? We lived at enmity with God in this really strange conflict. Because it was like an ant fighting a silverback gorilla. Uh, 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 and the gorilla's just going, stop. Uh, 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 stop. Uh, uh, uh. It would be kind of ludicrous, right? The gorilla's not going to lose this battle. Well, blow it out even more and you have us and God. So while we were in that state of open rebellion trying to knock God off his throne and kill him, and we deserve the wrath of God, you know what God did. God sent his very own son that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. Why? Was God afraid that he was going to get knocked off his throne? Did we have some power at work, you know, in our strength that helped us negotiate? No. We had nothing. It is by grace, through faith, not by works. God should have just... but he didn't. That's the gospel. That's the good news of the gospel. It is a message of peace. It's not facts to assent to. It's a message of peace. What are the terms of it? How do you accept these, uh, this peace offer from God? Go to church, tithe, read the Bible, and share your faith. If you don't do those, you go to hell. Right? Anybody awake? No. How do you accept those terms? Come on, somebody help me out, or we're going to do those cards again. <laughs> How do you accept those, the, peace, the peace treaty God offers? Romans 10 talks about it. Romans 10, 9. You want a memory verse? Believe in your heart. Confess with your mouth. It's very simple. You know the facts. You accept the facts. And you live in light of the facts. And guess what you are? At peace with God. You go from an enemy to a Shoed, robed, and ringed child. What am I talking about? Parable of the prodigal. You remember that? The guy goes out, the pig poop. He comes back when he comes to himself. The father runs out, and what does he give him? Signet ring, a robe, and shoes. And go back and listen to that sermon if you don't know what they mean, because I forget to. I'm kidding. The signet ring marked that he, was, he had the power and authority of his father at his disposal. The robe showed that his position in the house and the shoes were only worn by, by the master's kids not by the servants. You're a child of God by an undeserved, unmerited peace treaty. If that ain't good news, nothing's good news. So, if I give out those index cards again, and I say, what is the gospel? Good news of peace. Let that sink in a little bit. 
You are in open rebellion and enmity with God, deserving his wrath and destruction and annihilation for all of eternity. But that's not what you had to receive. In fact, by grace through faith, God opened your eyes to the truth, forgave you completely, and reconciled you to position as his very own child, never to be lost. That's the gospel. And we can know it's true by the examinable historical facts and the revelation of his scripture and, and on and on. But the gospel is good news of peace. You didn't make Jesus Lord of your life. He already was Lord of your life. And because he was Lord and you lived in open rebellion against him, you were in a really bad spot. But because of the incredible love he has for all, he made a way. You got that? The gospel is good news of peace. When does that peace treaty end? You know, whenever a peace treaty is made, there's an end date. If you don't accept the terms by such and such a date, we're going to bomb you again. Right? What's the end date of this peace treaty? May 12, 2012. You guys saw the vans go by, right? Saw the signs up. It's all over. The end date is when Jesus comes back. Isaiah 55, 6 tells, tells uh, people, Call out to God. Seek him while he may be found. Basically, call out to him while he's still listening and you have a chance to turn to him and be saved because it won't always be the case. Acts 17.31, we'll get to that in a few weeks, months maybe. You'll see Paul talking about, we live in a time when we can respond and accept the terms of this peace treaty, but that won't always be the case because one day Jesus will come back to judge. That is a good point, Kirsten. Don't ruin this for me. For some people, today is when the peace treaty offer ends, isn't it? For anybody, it could be any moment. It could be on the ride home from church. It's a very good point. We know that the ultimate end is when Jesus comes back. But for any person, it could be right now. As recipients of the offer of peace through Christ, we should find a comfort and a joy and an excitement and a passion that grows day by day. You never have to worry about if you're right with God. You don't have to do anything to be right with God. You were made right with God by grace through faith and not by works. Right? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. That's what I'm, I'm talking about here. What's Ephesians 2, 10? Anyone know that one? You don't hear that one too often. That one's not so fun. Somebody get there. Read it out for us, Renee. So we were saved and created as a new creation to do good works that God prepared beforehand for us to do. So if you're in a right relationship with God by the peace treaty, it doesn't matter what you do, but you will do. That brings me to the second point here. Peter brought good news of peace to Cornelius. And look what it says in verse 39. And we are witnesses of all that he did both in the country of the Jews and Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin through his name. We who had been chosen by God as witnesses. Was it coincidental that Jesus appeared to Peter and the other of the eleven? 
Was it coincidental that he appeared to a certain multitude of people over a period of time? No. He appeared to them so they could go out and declare what they had seen with their very own eyes as witnesses. And what they were to do was to go out and communicate the terms of the peace treaty that God had offered. You see that? God made a way for all to be saved. There are terms to be to his peace treaty. There's only one way to enter it, and Jesus is that only way. That's why he says, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But how does God declare this peace treaty to the ends of the earth? Well, to Cornelius, he did it through Peter. He prepared Peter perfectly to go and tell because that was the mechanism by which he determined to go and tell. 2 Corinthians 4.7 speaks of treasure in jars of clay. We are jars of clay carrying a treasure, and that treasure is the gospel. 2 Corinthians 5.20, guess what you're referred to as a believer? Ambassadors of Christ. God making his appeal through us. Matthew 28, 19, Jesus tells us to go, therefore, and make what? Notice that's not converts, disciples. To walk along people as their gospels presented, as their eyes are open, and then equip them to go out and declare the peace treaty, the good news of the gospel. Romans 10, 13 through 15 takes an Isaiah passage and speaks of the beautiful feet of those who bring the good news. How will they believe unless they hear, and how will they hear unless they preach, and how will they preach unless they are sent? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. John 16, 18, the Holy Spirit is given to us. Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin and righteousness and judgment through us. Stop and think about that. As believers, why are we still here? to save up money and retire and enjoy our retirement, right? God made us to get old, get on a beach, read a book, and just, ah, oh, this is heaven. No, oh, that ain't heaven. So why are we still here? Is it to work hard and make a name for ourselves so people remember us and approve of us and like us? No. Is it so we can enjoy all of God's creation and, and just go out there and be like, oh, this is so beautiful. Life is so wonderful. No. Now, none of those things are evil in and of themselves. You know, if you can save up a bunch of money and retire on a beach, um, I guess go for it. Now, Now, I might be a little uncomfortable taking an extended period of time to sit on a beach and do nothing while there's a world that needs to hear the gospel. But it's okay to sit on a beach, and trust me, there are people on beaches that need to hear the gospel. And it's okay to rest sometimes and, and read a book and put your feet up and lay back in the sun. And We should do a missions trip to a beach, like a high-end resort. What do you guys think? To, to save the wealthy of the, of the earth? We'll begin in Fiji. You guys up for a two-week missions trip to Fiji? Somebody want to fund that? All right, let's, let's work on that. We'll take the church jet. Why are we still here? What, what is our primary purpose? First, to glorify God, but how do we glorify God in large part? By living as ambassadors for Christ. We're living as a royal nation, a holy priesthood. We're messengers of the peace treaty. Imagine... If the president, it would have to be more of a dictatorship, but if the presidency is going to offer peace to Japan at the end of World War II, but the U.S. ambassador is like, eh, they'll hear about it somehow. That wouldn't go so well, would it? The king has offered terms of peace. Now you, go and tell. That's why you're here. You're a vessel to be used for God's glory. Peter understood that. He had been chosen by God as witnesses. We came to faith by God opening our eyes. Why? So that we could declare the good news. 
we lose, we lose track of that sometimes, don't we? We lose track of the fact that, that that's, in large part, why we were saved. So what happened? He shows up. He declares the good news. And then there's a response. While, you know, this would drive any preacher crazy. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. Dude couldn't even get the whole sermon out. While, while he was in the middle of declaring this good news, he couldn't even finish it. Boom! Holy Spirit fell on everybody. You know, when, when, when we preachers put a sermon together, we want to get from top to bottom. We, we, got, we put in the work, we want to get through it, okay? If, if I was preaching to a room of non-believers and I got just through the introduction, basic presentation of the gospel, and people came to faith, I'm like, come on! That's at the end of the altar call. But for Peter, what happened? The vessel carried the message, and God opened the eyes. While he was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed. Why were they amazed? These were Gentiles. They weren't supposed to receive the Holy Spirit. Well, it says that because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. Thanks, God. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Remember Pentecost? Same thing happened. God showing no distinction between Jews and Gentiles. Can anyone withhold water for baptizing them, Peter saying. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. They asked him to remain for some days. Who knows the day they were saved? Can you tell me the day you came to faith? Anyone? I can too. Does anyone have no idea when they were saved as far as the date? You know you're saved, you just can't tell a date, right? Now, there are some people that would say, Dan's in a world of trouble because he can't tell me an exact date. You know what I say to those people? Hogwash. I can tell you the day I was saved because I remember walking downstairs in our house in Columbus and, and I, I had been completely convicted of the, the truth of who Christ was, my need for Christ, and desire to turn my life over to him, live for his glory. And I remember saying to the Lord, so what do you do with all this? And I remember praying in the kitchen in Columbus. I can give you the date, the time. You know, I can tell you about the weather, a bunch of stuff. or Maybe not the weather, but a bunch of stuff around that day. That is the day I would tell you that I came to faith. There's a but on the back end. There are many other people that couldn't give you a five-year window when they came to faith. They just know they came to faith. Have you ever met someone and asked, well, he asked a question like this. Were you born... Anybody here born? How do you know you're born? Because you're alive, right? You're here. Now, if your mom or dad never told you the day you were born, you wouldn't know your birthday. But you wouldn't wonder, oh my gosh, was I actually born? You know you're born. Same thing comes in faith. I know my birthday because my mom told me when I was born. I don't remember it, though. I've seen pictures, but I don't remember it. But I know I'm born. The reality, though, is by the time I said to Laura, what do you do with all this? I had already been born anew. It wasn't my prayer to accept Christ that brought me from death to life. That was my recognition of what would happen. Does that make sense? Some people don't have the recognition at the moment, but they know they're saved. You know what an altar call is? A long time ago, we had somebody leave this church because I didn't do altar calls. Bet you didn't know that one, huh? They were very angry at me. They were here for a while. They were very angry. Now, don't go trying to figure out who it is. <laughs> they were very angry that I didn't do altar calls at the end of each service. And I asked them why. 
The gist was that you needed to do an altar call so people who weren't truly Christians could come to faith. What's an altar call? At the end of the service, you, you typically you got a nice Southern Baptist background going. And I would like to call forward anyone at this time who would like to turn their life over to Christ. You could come up to the front and uh, we will pray with you. We will wait. Come forward. Now we play music, which I can't even get that. Could you imagine an altar call on this new computer? Please, one moment. One moment. People are like, I want to accept the Lord. Wait a minute. Uh, Billy Graham crusade, you see this. You know, they, they call it the old sawdust trail, the revival. You come up to the front, you kneel, and, and you accept Christ. Uh, that's always rubbed me the wrong way. Now, don't get me wrong. I have a lot of respect for people that, that present the need to make a decision as to who you say Christ is. This is not something you kind of leave out there like, eh, I'll get to it in the future. Okay? But coming to the front to accept Christ isn't when you accept Christ. You know what the sinner's prayer is? You share the gospel with someone, and then after you present, usually it happens with a track, because it falls into a program. And again, I'm not knocking tracks. There's a place for, for gospel tracks. And I got a lot of respect for people that go out and share the gospel through tracks, compared to people who never share the gospel and have lots of reasons why I don't like altar calls and I don't like tracks. You know what I'm saying here? But usually if you go through a track, at the end you'll say to the person, do you understand what's been presented to you? If you haven't turned your life over to Christ, why don't you pray this prayer with me? And the prayer goes something along the lines of, Jesus, I recognize who you are. I, I recognize I'm a sinner separated from God, saved only by grace through faith, and I'd like to turn my life over to you. And, and you kind of pray it with them, let them pray along with you, and then they supposedly come to faith. See, but that prayer never saved anybody. It's God who opens the eyes, and it happens kind of like this. As his gospel is shared, he opens the eyes and the ears of certain people, and somehow... It just makes sense. I spent a long time of my life adamantly certain that there was no knowable God and certainly Jesus wasn't the only way. Why didn't I believe it for so many years? I was spiritually dead. I couldn't believe it. And then one day, it all made sense. It's so crystal clear. It's so examinably verifiable. How could anyone not believe this? They're spiritually blind. Now, yes, I prayed a prayer to accept Christ, and I can tell you the date when it happened, I believe. But what saved me was the grace of God. And it's the same thing that saved Cornelius, and it happens as God's word is preached. We cast seed because we are jars of clay carrying a treasure. Our job isn't to, to make the harvest. It's to plant the seed. You see that? I've heard way too many people talk about the numbers of people they've led to faith in Christ. Shame on them because no human has ever led another human to faith in Christ. God might use them in the process, but it's only God who brings people to faith. Yet he chooses to convey that message through us. Now what I want you to get out of this is that the message is a message of peace. There's a world out there that is at war with God, and they don't even know it. And our job is to go out filled with the Holy Spirit, literally and figuratively too, to go and declare the good news that while there, we were still enemies of God, God made a way at the cost of his very own son to reconcile the lost humanity to himself. And as we declare that message, there will be people who will believe as God opens their eyes. And our job as vessels is then to walk alongside them as fellow vessels and to love them and to encourage them and to equip them to go out and do the same. Now, how do you know if, if, if the thing took? You ever come across someone that, that seems to profess faith, 
But then they just kind of like, ah. Oh. I had a question asked to me this weekend by a friend of mine who's a pastor. I don't know why they ask me. It's like, ask somebody else. I don't know, man. What do you do with a Christian? Someone professes to be a Christian but never reads their Bible and just doesn't care. Love them? I don't know. What he's getting at is, are they really a Christian? I, I don't know. So there's probably a, a lot more symptoms at play than just not reading the Bible. Let's be honest. We don't all read the Bible all the time, do we? And sometimes we're okay with that, you know? We're not like guilt-ridden and can't sleep at night. We're just like, eh, who cares? We go through apathetic periods. Reading the Bible doesn't make you a Christian. But if you're a Christian, there's going to be a part of you that's slightly uncomfortable with walking in, uh, walking in sin at some point, right? Well, look what, look what Cornelius does. He comes to faith. Now, it's kind of cheat notes here because it says the Holy Spirit fell on him. That's how we know he came to faith. The Holy Spirit fell on him. When he came to faith, the result was he was baptized. You see that? He was baptized so that he could be saved, right? Because there are all these people, you'll meet them, who are like outside of heaven. They're not quite in hell, but they're outside of heaven because they believed, but they forgot to get baptized, and you can't get in unbaptized. There's also another group that didn't believe but was baptized, and they get in. I'm kidding. Baptism is a sacrament, but it doesn't save you. It's a sign of obedience. If you've come to faith in Christ, should you be baptized? Absolutely. If you've not been baptized, my question would be, why not? Does that make sense? Cornelius was baptized because you're supposed to be baptized. It was a sign of obedience. That is one of the signs of a regenerate soul. They walk in obedience. And what does he say to Peter? Then, at the end, then they said to Peter, thanks for coming. We can do this on our own. We have the scriptures, and we will worship God independently. We don't need to be bothered by corporate fellowship. Right? Then they asked him to remain for some days. A person who comes to faith desires to know who God is more fully, to have the scriptures explained to them, and to walk in fellowship with other believers. Why? Because that's what God calls us to. Now, the problem is, we all kind of got a little sin-ish going still, and there's no such thing as a perfect... A, a church of perfect people. There's a perfect church comprised of people being perfected. And because there's so much junk out there, there's a large population of people who profess to be Christians, and many of them probably are, who don't go to church, they just do it at home. I did this for a year in seminary. You know, I was just, you go, and you're like, good Lord, I'm getting nothing out of this. First of all, the preaching is just junk. You know, they're, they're, they're teaching second grade edition, and I'd like something a little more advanced. So you get a little arrogant pride. You want, you want to talk about needing to be humbled. See, maybe that's the problem. <laughs> anyway. And then you start to think, well, I could read the Bible at home, and I have Christian friends I hang out with, so I could pray with them, and I had an accountability group, so I don't need a church. And, and you, you feel all right. You get to sleep in a little bit. You don't have to be bothered by other people, because there are some not here. There are some annoying people in churches that will just, see, that's the beauty of a small church. You've you, you got to look, look at the seats in the back. You don't make eye contact with anybody. If we had 10,000 people here, you know, no one could see me, and I'd be great. But there are some people in church that at times, you might not always be like, oh, I just can't wait to be around them again. I just love every moment of my time with them. That's not what this is about. This is about glorifying God by living in relationship with other people for his glory and our good. And you see Cornelius, he wanted some of that. He said, hey, Peter, tell me. Hang out with us. I need to be loved and cared for by other believers. Now, again, we don't all do this perfectly, but when you meet a person 
who says they're a Christian and never wants to be around other Christians, I understand what they're saying. I'm not talking to you guys here, okay? I understand what they're saying, but we need to walk in greater obedience to God. That's the sign of life. So our job isn't to interrogate one another to determine, are you really a regenerate soul? Hmm. Oh, you sinned once. Do you really love Jesus? But you'll see signs of life. I'd say this all the time. Uh, Alistair Begg. Gosh, we're probably going on two decades, and this thing still rattles in my head. If you are not sharing your faith, you probably don't have a faith to share. You want to know what he's talking about? If you truly understand the gospel, and you're coming to understand it more and more as you mature, inside of you will grow a desire to tell other people about this. And as that grows, you'll begin to break out of this discomfort of what might happen if you do, and begin to try to tell people. Because you understand the reality of sin and separation from God for all of eternity. It's pretty horrible. It doesn't get any worse than that. And your life becomes about making it as difficult as possible for a person to go to hell, as opposed to just sitting back and enjoying the accoutrements of life. Little by little, you find you can actually do both. Little by little, you find it's actually joyful to do this. But if you can go... 50 years, complacently, never going to a church, never reading the Bible, never been baptized, never sharing your faith, and never really giving much of a thought to Jesus except when you were in a, you know, 14 years old at a mountaintop retreat and you prayed to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, you got a little problem on your hands, most likely. See what I'm saying? You might still be in, but I wouldn't want to dabble that close to the line. What do I see in this section? I see a man who understood the message. He opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. Do you understand how awesome that is? Inside of us, we, we all have a bit of a bigotry, hatred, or racism deep down. Now, you're probably thinking, I don't. Right? I don't. You, I'm kidding. Deep down, we all do. And what happens is, it's not wicked and nasty. Well, I guess it is in God's sight. We're not necessarily out there, you know, burning people and using horrible terms and things like that. But we all like to hang out in what are called homogeneous units. You ever notice how similar your neighborhood looks? You walk into a, they've, they've said the church, the American church, is the most segregated institution in the land. If you don't believe me, go, go check out some different churches across. You'll find homogeneous units. We like people just like us. It's part of the effect of sin in our lives. We, we're most comfortable with people who look like us, talk like us, live in the same socioeconomic bracket that we do. It's where we find our comfort. Well, what God's saying here is, break out of that. Because this church of mine is full of kosher and non-kosher foods. Often this isn't even an intentional thing that we do. But when, you, when, when we go to heaven, and we're all worshiping God collectively as, as a church universal, you will look out there and you will see a, a body of people comprised of destitute and extraordinarily wealthy. White, black, Asian, every Indian, everything in between. Collectively gathered in, rejoicing in the fact that we were all created by God for his glory. We will look at everything about us, how we look, what we earn, how we walk, how smart we are, where we're from, and we will be able to glorify God through that because God makes no distinction. He shows no partiality between people. The gospel isn't for the clean and those who have their act together. The gospel is for all who will believe. And what we need to be careful with is that we don't become prejudiced 
with who we want to share the gospel with. Don't we all have people that were like, oh, dude, I hope they, bear with me here, I hope they don't go to heaven, because I can't imagine having to spend eternity with them. Like, I'm all right hanging out with Jesus, but if so-and-so gets into heaven, I have a problem with that. Do you know why you have a problem with that? Because you show partiality. That's what I'm talking about here. If I was God, heaven would be an island of, well, I'll say 30 people. That way you can all think that you'll all get in. You would all be in. It would be a small, rather sparsely populated island. But God says his desire is that none should be lost and all should be saved, meaning that he's showing no partiality. No matter what you look like, what you think, what, how you talk, where you're from, God shows no partiality. That's crazy. And for Peter, it blew his mind. It took this vision. So then he went and opened his mouth saying, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord. That's our message to all people. Whether you like them or not, you understand that God loves them and that God made a way so that all could believe and none should have to perish. Not just the people you like, all. That's part of our job is to break out of the preference box. You don't cherry pick your church. Church universal. Heck, you shouldn't even cherry pick your local church. If we do this right, I got bad news for you and good news. We're going to get some real dirty, crazy folk coming in that door one day. You know, the people that make you think, oh, good Lord, we might, we might have to start looking for a new church because so-and-so is just driving me crazy. It's dangerous. If you, wanted to, if you want to proclaim the gospel, it's dangerous because you've got no idea whose eyes God's going to open with that. You might get some crazy people. Well, hopefully not too crazy. But you know what I'm saying here. There's a danger to that. For poor Peter, he had to go to the Gentiles, the, the incredibly unclean, disgusting, gross people. God said, hey, Pete, go to them. Peter said, oh, oh, no, sir. I'm not going there. You see that tarp coming down? Oh, I won't eat that food. Eat it. No, eat it. No, eat it. Oh. Oh. You know, I say, then he's sitting there like, oh. So he went on this long walk, and his head's like, oh, my gosh. God's saying that the Gentile, that the, the salvation is for the Gentiles too? Oh, man. And he walks in and he declares this good news of peace. That's the message we have, good news of peace for all. Let us be reminded anew each day of the good news of peace that we receive through Christ. Let us be reminded anew each day that it is we who have been chosen by God as witnesses. That's our job. Our success isn't found in how many we save. Our success is found in how faithful we are to go and tell. We're go and tellers, not savers. And then let us be reminded and encouraged anew each day that it is God who saves. And you'll see evidence of it over time. Look for it in your life, though, first and foremost, not the lives of others. We're pretty good at picking on other people, right? My friend asked me, what do you do with a Christian who who doesn't read their Bible every day and doesn't seem to care? You know, I would say, well, let's turn that around on the old pastoral crowd. What do you do with a group of Christians who reads their Bibles a lot every single day but doesn't seem to care about anybody else? You know, let it hit home first. Let God remove the the log from your own eye before you start working in the speck of the others. Yeah, walk, walk with caution. The Bible warns us about wolves in sheep's clothing. You all should pay close attention to what I'm saying. I, I am not a wolf. But you need to examine the scriptures to make sure I'm no wolf in sheep's clothing. What I say has to mesh with scripture. We need, 
we need to parse what is said, and we need to, to be wise. And, well, we won't talk about it. There's an issue for church membership included in there as you go through Scripture. We'll table that for another time. But we need to walk cautiously. This is not just anyone walks in and enters into the intimacy of the fellowship and fullness just because they came in the door and made a profession. They're welcome, but we need to, we need to know one another well. We're not determining who's a Christian and who's not. God does, but you'll see evidence. I know Kelly's alive because Kelly got herself in there. If, if Patty was dragging Kelly in each week, and Kelly's, you know, on a gurney, never moving or blinking, and she's like, oh, she's alive, or poking her and there's no response. There's a point where you'd be like, Patty, I don't know if she's alive. I just stuck her with a, with a hot iron and she didn't move. Oh, she's alive. She's just tired. See what I'm saying? But our job is to go out with the right message, as the vessels, and see what God will do. And I think we'll be shocked. I think this past um, Thursday, uh, we saw some examples of that a little bit um, in, in our Q place. And these, these are no um, Peter moments of, of healing the lame and others gathering around to ask. I also um, was sharing with these guys, I had a, a conversation with, with a person um, who, I've, who I've been in proximity with for a couple years now. And I invited them, and they weren't able to come. But they said to me, come on, I need to talk to you for a minute. So I said, I've been trying to find answers to questions like this. I, I want to know who God is, and, and how can you know? I've been doing this a while, and what I'm finding is it's really not that complicated. But I'm finding out, I feel like I should have known a couple decades before. It's really not that hard. God will do what he says he will do. Your job, know the message. Believe the message. Walk in obedience. Share the message as God gives opportunity. And I bet you will find that while you're still speaking, you'll see God start working. That's pretty cool stuff. Jesus Christ himself appeared to Peter. Why? Because he chose Peter. And he told Peter to go and tell. Now, you've probably never seen Jesus with your own physical eyes. But as a Christian, he's revealed himself to you. You don't need the evidence of the eyesight. You have more evidence than you, have, than you could possibly need to know with absolute certainty that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. We have signs and wonders and historical evidence galore. Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus died on the cross. Jesus rode three days, rose three days later, and Jesus will come back. We live in a time of when the world is at war with God and we live as people who are at peace with God with a chance to go out and tell while there's still time. That's a serious responsibility, but it's a joyful responsibility because in a world without hope, we have the ability to bring hope. In a world that desperately wants peace and can never make peace, we can show them the way to peace that will never fall apart. Is that pretty awesome stuff? Or what? Let's pray. Father God, I, I thank you for, for the peace treaty that you made. It's such an inadequate term for the gospel. I thank you for the fact that while we so foolishly lived in open rebellion against you, and you would have been fully just and truthfully fully loving to just completely destroy us, that you didn't. That you allowed your very own son to be mocked and ridiculed and beaten and destroyed and killed on the cross to take the wrath that we were due upon himself so that his righteousness might be put upon those who would believe. God, I thank you for the fact that three days later you rose from the dead and that now we who believe in you 
have nothing to fear. We are children of the Most High God, forgiven completely, reconciled completely, and living with an opportunity to declare hope to the hopeless and good news to the lost, to declare peace to a world at war with you. And we're not sent out without the tools needed to do it. We're filled with the Holy Spirit, who will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. And God, our greatest problem, we realize, is not our inability to do it. It's our unwillingness to trust that you will. God, I pray that we will go out, and this week you will give us opportunities. Even this week, you will open our eyes to the, to the people in whose lives that we should be casting some seed. And that we might be encouraged by seeing that seed begin to sprout. That we might see eyes begin to be opened. That we might see hearts begin to be softened. That we might see people like Cornelius. People who the Holy Spirit falls upon as they come to faith while we're presenting the truth to them. So God, I pray this week that you would reveal to us anew and more fully the wonderful reality of what it means to be at peace with you. I pray this week you would reveal to us anew the wonderful reality and responsibility of what it means to be a vessel of yours, an ambassador of yours, that you are making your appeal through us. And I pray this week we might be reminded anew that it is not us who made you Lord of our lives. It is not us who decided to follow you. It was you who, by grace through faith and not by works, opened our eyes so that we might receive eternal life and go out and declare that good news to others. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, amen.